I hope you noticed that wasn't just uh, scripture memory. That thing was choreographed. <laughs> and I assume that's the choreographer right there. Okay, why don't we turn to that uh, section that they just recited to us, Luke chapter 2. We're going to find our starting verse there. And then we'll end up in John 14. By the way, you sang some words this morning, and it's always good to know uh, what you're singing, to understand what you're singing. How many people here know what Gloria in Excelsis Deo means? Wow. You sang them, right? Wouldn't it be good to know what it means? What does it mean? Yeah, glory to God in the highest. So now you know. Okay, Luke 2. Uh, I won't read the whole chapter for you. We just had most of it recited for us anyway. We're just going to look at two verses here, uh, 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in excelsis Deo. Of course, they wouldn't have said it in Latin, probably Aramaic or, or Greek. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. We're going to look at one word this morning. It's often misunderstood. This is one of the most quoted verses at this time of the year. How many have either read it or heard it or seen it displayed somewhere this time of the year? Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's a word in here, peace. Peace. That's what we're going to look at. A lot of people hear or, or see this verse. And... Uh, since it says on earth peace, they think it means peace on earth, that is, end of war. Did war stop when Jesus came? No, it didn't. So what did he mean? What did the angel mean here when he said on earth peace or peace on earth? Obviously, he was talking about something else. Well, we find out because at the end of Jesus' ministry, and we'll look over at uh, John 14, just before he was crucified, he brings up the subject again. John 14, and we'll read one verse, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid you see the lord's talking about personal peace peace of heart peace of mind real peace that each person can have from the lord jesus christ and that's what we're going to look at uh we're going to really key on this verse there's a lot in this little verse here in uh, john 14 in fact we're going to find nine characteristics of this peace and uh, by the time we're done, you'll have a, a better understanding and hopefully experience the peace that only Christ can give. First of all, notice uh, here that it, uh, it's a gift. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. It's from the Lord Jesus himself. It's great to get gifts, isn't it? But nobody can give like Jesus does. 
How would you wrap up peace in a box and put a ribbon on it? <laughs> and yet, I, I will uh, say that this gift of peace is better than anything you found wrapped in a box. He's the greatest giver of all. It says in Scripture, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of life with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God only gives good gifts. In fact, he gives the best. Uh, I don't know what the, the uh, contemporary, um, what should I say, undesirable gifts are. It used to be when I was younger, the classic bad gift for a guy was a tie. And uh, the classic bad gift for a, a lady was perfume. Does that still hold? You, get to, you can get too many ties and too much perfume. It's cut, no, it's not. Okay. You can't get too much perfume. All right. But uh, the Lord doesn't give redundant gifts or useless gifts. Peace. Just think about that as a gift. Wow. And the neat thing is that when the Lord gives us something, he only gives us stuff we need which is not always necessarily things we want but in this case it is okay the second thing we learn about this piece here is that it's unique notice uh what jesus said my peace i give to you not as the world gives that's interesting and as it is always with the lord uh we have to learn that there are new definitions for old words that we thought we knew, like love, joy, and here, peace. He says, no, it's not like the peace that you've known of that you can get in the world. In fact, what he's saying is the peace that I give you, you can't get in the world. That's what he's saying. It's not as the world gives. The world has a version of something they call peace, but this isn't it. This, and, and it's a lot better because it's real we'll talk about that in a little bit it's a one-of-a-kind gift it's not for sale no amount of money can buy it imagine i'm sure you like uh, me have received lots of uh, catalogs and flyers in the mail this season you know advertising uh, gifts for christmas imagine on the list there the peace of god wow how much do you think it'd go for? The third thing here is that it's the best. Um, because the giver himself happens to know a lot about the, the item. Uh, in fact, he's called the Prince of Peace. Isn't that good? I was thinking uh, during this time of the year, we listened to uh, the Messiah uh, yesterday wonderful uh, choral piece and in there they sing isaiah 9 6 and 7 and i was thinking oh, boy that's a birth announcement like no other birth announcement you know you ever get sometimes it'll be a little card it's either blue or pink you know it's a girl or it's a boy and then his or her name is and you know weighed so much born on and so on listen to god's birth announcement for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isn't that great? Uh, I like the way he says, unto us a child is born. Isn't that interesting? And he's talking about everyone. Now, he's talking particularly about the nation of Israel there in Isaiah 9. But ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ is born and given to the world as a savior. And so he says, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a a son is given. And what's neat is uh, he doesn't just have a simple name. And when God gives anybody a name, it means something. We already went over these uh, a couple of Christmases ago. But the one that I was interested in here was he's the prince of peace. So when he gives peace, he knows what he's doing. He gives the best. Prince of peace means a lot. One, one thing it says, think about it, the prince of peace. It says that he's the ruler of a kingdom of peace, among other things. But that's uh, primarily what it says. And it goes on to say in Isaiah 9, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. When Jesus gives peace, he gives the right kind, true peace. In fact, the fourth thing we learn uh, here from John 14 is that notice he says, my peace I give to you. It's his peace. Now, that's a packed word. We're going to see four things in that phrase, my peace, when Jesus says that. He doesn't just give any peace. He gives his peace. What does that mean? Well, first of all, uh, it, one, of, one of the ideas derives from the idea that uh, he's the prince of peace. It's his to give. He alone can give it. Secondly, the peace that he gives is his peace because it's the same peace that characterized his life. Do you ever think about that? You know Jesus had peace when he ministered here on earth? I'll tell you, there was nobody more peaceful than Jesus. Think about it. Mark 14, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. He was in the stern, what? Asleep on a pillow. That's pretty peaceful, huh? And of course, the disciples uh, did what we do. Ah! You know, they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He probably would have slept right through it if they hadn't woken him up. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Asleep on a pillow in a storm. There's a reason for that, you see. He was in the center of his father's will and he knew it. So no matter what happened, it was right. It was good. It was what needed to happen. And so he could be asleep on a pillow. John 8, there, John 8 is wonderful. That's the woman taken in adultery. And they said, you know, the, Moses, the law of Moses said we should stone her. You know, what do you say? And uh, I'll tell you, I don't know what I'd do. You know, you're up against the law of Moses. What are you going to do? And there's a wonderful little phrase there. It says it twice. And, and God doesn't waste words. It says he, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, we don't know what he wrote. But he wasn't rattled, you know, he, he didn't uh, worry about, oh no, now what do I do? He just 
quietly writes on the ground. They keep pressing him. And then he calmly says these words, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. One of the most profound words ever uttered by a man. Here in John 14, in fact, talk about peace. Look at uh, the first verse of the chapter. Jesus says this to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And here in verse 27, again, he says it. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why is he saying that? Well, he's comforting them. Well, what's so unusual about that? Well, it's unusual in that it's the Lord Jesus that should be comforted here. This is the night of his betrayal. He knows what's ahead of him. Agony beyond comprehension. And yet, here he is comforting the eleven. And later on the cross, while he is in agony, think about it. He had the presence of mind, first of all, to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You know, I would tend to think of my pain at that point, don't, wouldn't you? You know? He, uh, he provided for the care of his mother at that time. And, th- and there's this uh, thief, a criminal, on a cross beside him who appeals to him. Jesus didn't say, look, don't bother me now. I'm busy. He had the peace, if you want to say it that way, to listen to to what he said and then reassure him by saying, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Let me tell you, Jesus had peace. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. He suffered. He was in agony. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But in the midst of his great agony, there was a peace. And it goes back to the idea that he knew he was doing God's will. And that's all he needed to know. He was in agony. He began to be sorrowful, it says in Matthew 26, and deeply distressed on this very night. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. In Luke it says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. How can this be? Agony, suffering, distress, and and yet peace at the same time. And that brings us to the fifth point about this peace. It's a peace that is undisturbed by troubles. Now, that's interesting because when, uh, apart from Christ, when someone says uh, they have peace, one of the things they mean is, I don't have any troubles now. Right? You know, that's synonymous. No troubles, I'm at peace. Well, that's kind of sad because you either have trouble or you have peace. You can't have both. But with Jesus, he gives an incredible kind of peace that trouble or no trouble, the peace is always there. Isn't that great? That's why, by the way, he says, after he says, my peace I give to you, he says, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Notice he didn't say, don't have any troubles. He said, I'm giving you peace, but don't let your heart be troubled. That's different. You're going to have trouble. In fact, just turn a page over to chapter 16. And uh, verse 33. 
These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that in me you may have, here it is again, peace. In the world, notice, you will have tribulation. In the same breath, you're going to have peace and you're going to have tribulation. In me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. There's no other peace like this. It doesn't go away. It's always there. And if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about. Isn't it great? No matter what happens in my life, I have peace because of Jesus Christ. And that's what he says here. In me, you have peace. So, uh, Jesus acknowledges it, and it's true to this day. We We still have trouble. In fact, uh, he promises us trouble, if you want to say it that way. Think about it this way. Uh, one of these days, this peace, brothers and sisters, is going to be replaced by permanent overall peace when the Prince of Peace rules forever. Okay? And so this personal peace we have is going to be swallowed up in peace with Jesus on the throne forever. So if you think about it that way, we have a very small window of time right now to exercise this personal peace in the midst of trouble. Look upon it as a positive thing. This is our only chance to try it out because <laughs> we're not going to be able to use it in, in, the, in the millennium or later. You see, the Prince of Peace is going to be ruling. So get excited when I have trouble. And at the same time, show the peace of God. That's a rare opportunity, and it's going to end before too long. Reminds me of when I was a kid. I don't know if it's like this anymore. It probably isn't. But when I was a kid, we had a lot of uh, young people in our neighborhood. You always knew what everybody got for Christmas the next day, or that morning, actually, because they'd all be out on the street, you know. I see a lot of heads nodding, you know. Johnny with his new bike, or this is going to sound corny, in his cowboy outfit. You know, or whatever. They, everybody went out with their new stuff. And then you get with your friends and you, you know, you say, look what I got. Yeah, well, look at this, you know. You immediately tried it out is the point. You want to see how it worked. Well, we have this gift of peace from Jesus. Now's the time to see how it works. Because there's going to be a time when we can't anymore. Uh, this is something really the world doesn't understand. The idea that you can be in incredible agony and distress and yet at the same time have peace. But uh, there are a lot of wonderful examples from the history of the church. One that comes to mind is Horatio Spafford. You'll find his name in your hymnal. Don't look there now if you want to. You can, you can later. But he's the one that wrote that wonderful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It is that He's writing about the peace of God that he had at the time. Now, I know we've, sometimes we've kind of indicated a little bit about the story. Here's the complete story behind that hymn that this man wrote. Um, he wrote it in 1873. He, uh, in, uh, he was a successful lawyer in Chicago in those days. But, uh, the roof began to fall in on him. In 1871, I think some of you know about uh, Mother O'Leary's cow kicking the lantern over in Chicago. 
there were great fires swept in swept through Chicago and burned it to the ground. And he lost everything he had. His uh, only son died that year. And uh, he was financially ruined. Then in 1873, two years later, uh, he was going to take his wife and four daughters to Europe. But he had to stay behind in Chicago and uh, take care of some business, actually relating to some zoning problems regarding the uh, rebuilding after the great Chicago fire. So he sent his wife and his four daughters on ahead on a ship called um, the Le Havre, French. And halfway across the Atlantic, it collided with a ship called the Loch Aaron. Uh, the Du Havre immediately sank and his four daughters were drowned. His wife made it to Europe and sent the famous telegram that a lot of you know about that had two words, saved alone, telling him that all of his children were now dead and only his wife had survived. He immediately got on the next ship and, and headed to Europe and as he was crossing the Atlantic, he was informed that they were near the spot where the Duavra sank and where his daughters had died. And it was then that he went back to his cabin and he wrote that hymn. He wrote actually a poem. You think he was in agony of soul? This man was distressed. And listen to what he writes. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Distress sorrow and peace it is well it is well with my soul as with mr spafford so it is with all believers his unshakable peace flowed from the cross of jesus where his sin problem was settled once and for all by the lord and that brings us to the sixth point this peace that jesus alone can give cannot change It is based on his finished work on the cross, which is unchangeable. In fact, it lasts forever. So no matter what happens, you see, a Christian can say, praise God, my sins are forgiven forever. I'm ready to meet God. <laughs> what can disturb you when you're like that? You see, this isn't some ooey-gooey peace that kind of comes and goes. It's real. It's based on a solid fact. There's logic behind it. There's reasoning. There's a, there's a purpose. It's based on an accomplished work that can never change. How do I know? Because it says right here. It's in writing for me and for you. And it's nothing less than peace with God. That's why Jesus distinguishes this peace from the peace that the world gives, which isn't real peace. Peace that you get in the world 
as you see, just like love, you know, as soon as we learn about the love of God, we find out all the other loves we knew before weren't love. So it is with the peace of the world. You look at it compared to the peace that Christ gives and you say, that's not peace. I don't care if it's peace that you uh, pursue with uh, meditation of any form or distraction. We'll try different kind of ways in the world to uh, obtain peace. The reason they don't work is because they don't address the root problem. And that's my sin problem with God. And until that goes away, I can't have peace. Not real peace. And so meditation or distractions or amusements are not going to do away with the sin problem. Really, entertainment and, and awe, amusement, not thinking, is not thinking about the problem. That doesn't make it go away. Like the little boy that hides his head under the covers, you know. And because he can't see you, he thinks you can't see him. The problem hasn't gone away. Jesus removed the problem. I rest on God's word. There's just one verse I need. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I stand on that verse. We have peace with God because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's eternal. It begins immediately upon coming to Christ. I tell people this. Uh, I hadn't read Pilgrim's Progress when I got saved in 1971. Um, but later I read a section in there that so perfectly described my own personal experience of getting saved. I got saved in a, in a friend's house, a very close friend that I'd grown up with in his living room. And uh, when, I, when I stood up, I literally felt like a burden had been unstrapped from my back and dropped to the floor. And I said that. I told Glenn that. I said, man, I feel like light as a feather. I feel wonderful. Now, I, yeah, you, don't, you don't gauge your, your salvation on, on feelings, okay? My, my uh, assurance is based right here. Nevertheless, when I was saved, I knew my sins were forgiven. And it felt so good. Because my, my sin problem was settled once and for all. Not because I took care of it, because Jesus did. And immediately the, the peace of God flooded my soul. And I'm glad it's Jesus that gives it because it's eternal. If it had been anybody else, it would have had, uh, you know, first uh, 20,000 miles or 20 years. Uh, this piece also has another characteristic. It's great enough that um, Jesus died for my sins, and I know that, and they're paid in full. But there's something also that adds to that piece, and it's the uh, third thing. Uh, uh, the reason that it's uh, the peace of Christ, why he said it's uh, my peace, my peace I give to you. It's the knowledge that now I'm a child of God, I'm a child of the one who controls all things. And that speaks peace as well. It's great being the child of the one who has everything in his hands. You feel kind of secure, you know. And in particular, nothing will come into my life now or yours if you're a believer that God will not permit. And if it's too big for you, he said, nope, forget it. He won't, he won't let it happen. Man, have we got reason 
to, to have peace, huh? Every, listen to this. This is an incredible statement, you know, brothers and sisters. You know, we can go tell people, I know my future. Isn't that great? Now, I don't know, you know, all the details of what's going to happen. I might die today, tomorrow. I don't know. But as far as the broad brushstrokes, I can tell you definitely. Uh, first of all, in this life, no matter what happens, my father is in complete control. And he's going to make sure that all things work together for my good. I know that. But then I can see beyond that uh, incredible veil that I couldn't before I got saved death and then the good stuff really begins i can tell you that for sure that's my future and i know i'm going to be with my savior the lord jesus christ forever forever it's not going to end and it's not going to get boring it's just going to get better and better and better i can tell you that no wonder christians have peace Think of the most secure future on the earth in this world. Uh, I try to think of one. Imagine a billionaire with, a, with the greatest corporation in the world, and he has a son. And this son grows up knowing that he is going to take the father's place eventually. He's going to be a billionaire himself one day. You know, maybe when he's 18, he's made VP or something. You know, and he knows that when his dad dies, he's going to be CEO. Isn't that the term? See, the, the big man, right? And so this guy grows up having this secure future, except there are a few problems with it. Are, are the futures of companies guaranteed? Yeah. Ask people who invested in Madoff securities or Enron. Is the future of a country secure? Well, I hate to say it, no. What, what if the guy uh, doesn't live to be 50 or 40 or 30? You see, there's no guarantee. His dad can say, son, when you're 70, you're going to be puffing on a cigar and sitting right there in that leather chair, pulling the strings. He can't promise that. But even if it does happen and the son lives to a ripe old age of 100, you know what? When he dies, it all ends. It's done. That's it. And you may think, well, hey, that's great, man. You know, I'll take that. Let me tell you, that's such a little tiny window compared to eternity. Listen, my future and the future of every Christian here goes to infinity. And we have an inheritance from our father, too, by the way. So for the Christian, really, you could say the best begins at the grave. And any, anything else here in this world, that's where it stops. Well, finally, this peace is beyond price. Jesus paid everything he had to purchase this peace for us. We said it was free. He gives it to us, but it cost him everything. And that's the fourth reason that it's his peace. There's so much in that phrase, my peace. When he said my peace, he meant it's mine to give. He meant it's the kind that I have as I live my life. And as I exist. And another reason is he purchased it for us so that he could give it to us. This wonderful, eternal, unshakable peace 
By the way, I'm looking for a word to describe it, and I'm going to quit because it says elsewhere that it passes understanding. It, this almost sounds like a contradiction. This peace was purchased by violence. In fact, it was obtained by the greatest act of violence the universe has ever seen or ever will see. Where God the Son took in His body all of my sin and all of your sin, and then He answered for those sins to an infinite holy, righteous, and powerful God. And we're never going to comprehend what happened in those hours on the cross. But that's the payment. That's where he purchased peace. We sing about it this way. Jehovah lifted up his rod, O Christ, it fell on thee. Thou wast sore stricken of thy God. There's not one stroke for me. Thy blood beneath that rod has flowed. Thy bruising healeth me. The tempest's awful voice was heard, O Christ, it broke on thee. Thy open bosom was my ward, it bore the storm for me. Thy form was scarred, thy visage marred, now cloudless peace for me. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, maybe now you understand why we love Jesus so much. And if, if you don't know him, look, don't stay on the outside looking in. This peace that Jesus offers is available to you. There's no special requirement you have to meet other than being a sinner. And if you're willing to acknowledge that to him and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I have no hope. I trust fully in what you did on the cross for me. It's a package deal. Okay. You get Jesus and his peace and joy and hope and everything else at the same time and you don't have anybody do it for you god does it simply when you trust him make it today don't wait let's pray lord jesus how we worship you this morning we thank you for opening our blind eyes so that we might see all the loveliness in you and thank you lord for showing us what real love is, what real joy is, what real peace is. Not just showing them, but giving it to us. And we ask that if there's anyone here, Lord, who does not know this peace, that this might be the day that they find it by receiving it from you. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.